I have uh, done the service without you in the room, and, uh, but I've watched online and uh, marveled at the pastors and the worship team who have uh, ministered to this room that is without you uh, presently and uh, at, at how uh, gracefully and wonderfully they have ministered to us. And so here I am in those same place. I can testify to you. I know it's been said many times in many different places that uh, the church is not a building and uh, it is the body of Christ. It is people. And this place is uh, nothing uh, like uh, what it is when all of you are here. But these are the present circumstances and uh, we're glad to have the technology to be able to meet in the way that we are. You in the comfort of your home or wherever you're watching the service, we're glad that you have joined us here uh, this morning. And so the Holy Spirit is uh, greater than all of the obstacles that we'll ever face in life. I think about how um, this coronavirus, one of the aspects of it is how um, it makes uh, a threat of other people around us. They are the carriers of this as this pandemic uh, fills the world. And, and uh, so this separation, this isolation that it is uh, producing, and yet there is a, despite the physical nature of all of that, there is a spiritual unity that we enjoy by the Holy Spirit, the unity of the Spirit, and to be able to partake of worship together, prayer together, as Pastor Mike has read the Word this morning to us as well, and uh, all of us united by the Holy Spirit uh, everywhere uh, that we are. And so, in this season of the uh, birth pangs, really, this, uh, the pestilence and disease is one of the things Jesus said would mark the days as His uh, return approached uh, even prior to the Great Tribulation. And so here we see it uh, happening all around us in so many uh, ways. I want to uh, give you a couple of announcements before we get into the Word. Just a reminder that this coming Friday is Good Friday and Easter next Sunday. And we will be having our Good Friday service on, uh, at noon as usual, noon to one. And uh, so if you're out and about this week at a store, then maybe grab uh, some crackers and some grape juice and to be able to partake of the Lord's Supper on, on Friday. And we look forward to that service and being together again in, in that way. And then uh, again, as I mentioned, next Sunday, the great celebration of Jesus' resurrection uh, from the dead. Also want to uh, let you know that uh, all of the different ways that uh, despite the obstacles to, be, to you know, being uh, unified physically uh, today, there are uh, these different things that we've put into place in order for us to stay connected as a body and as the body of Christ and, um, and as we're in this, uh, this season. Uh, we uh, uh, want you to be aware of the daily devotion and encouragement page that is on our website. Uh, at ccmodesto.com and we're using that page uh, for on a daily basis to uh, provide you with a daily devotional with a, a passage of scripture and then a, a written devotional uh, related to uh, for the day related to this season and then also the worship team providing us with a worship song we wanted to also have uh, a song in our heart in this season and uh, to be able to sing that song through the day and how powerful I think that song is. It is for me as I turn to that page each day and, and uh, read it. And then also on that uh, encouragements, uh, encouragement page is the daily prayer list for praying not only for our body but for the whole world. And so uh, be aware of that. It is also the page that we will uh, occasionally update you concerning things at Calvary Chapel Modesto uh, as uh, well. Also, the 
uh, in light of the separation and the mandates that are going on right now and the wisdom of all of it, of course, uh, and uh, we can't uh, pray together face to face as we would wish. I can't invite you to come up after the service and uh, pray with one of the pastors or one of the, uh, the leaders, and yet we continue to need prayer. And uh, so there are many ways for us to pray together, for you to ask for prayer. Uh, feel free to uh, call a pastor and he will pray with you over the phone. You can call the church telephone number and it will, at the end of that recording, provide you with the names of three pastors always and their telephone numbers for you uh, to call them uh, for prayer related to anything going on uh, in your life. You'll be connected to that pastor. Uh, you can also submit a, a prayer request using uh, our website at ccmodesto.com. And so if you go to that encouragement page, in fact, I think related to calling the office, it'll even direct you straight to a pastor. But whatever, it'll, you'll be able to navigate it to, to reach a pastor, to counsel over the phone or for prayer. And then uh, on that encouragement page, there's a button that you can click on, an icon and, uh, that says prayer request. And then anything that you're facing individually or that you want prayer for or that you wake up and is on your heart especially to pray for this body or to pray for the world, uh, you can put that on and, and uh, between 100 and 200 people would be praying for that uh, as soon as it goes out. Uh, this may be a time in which you want to join our prayer ministry team and uh, you can complete an application to join through our website at uh, ccmodesto.com by simply clicking on the ministry button and then filling out a simple form and we'll get uh, right uh, back to you uh, right away. And so those are the things that are uh, coming. Let's turn this morning in our Bibles to uh, the book of First Peter uh, chapter 1 where we will uh, bring our Bible study uh, from that passage. While you're turning there to First Peter, um, it is, I don't know what all of the guys think about when uh, here is they're ministering now to a camera, the Lord is present, and, and what uh, the worship team thinks about. Um, but you are creatures of habit, you almost always sit in the same place. And uh, so I can uh, not see you in your place presently, but I, I know you're out there somewhere. And, uh, uh, and it makes me long for the day when uh, it'll be back to normal and we'll all be back together. The first uh, seven verses of 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, and sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in this, uh, the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the unity of the Spirit. We thank you for the fact that you are greater than every obstacle that we face, every trial we will ever face in life. And not only greater than all of our trials and all of our obstacles, but you are so great as to be able to overwhelm them. We pray that you would fill each of us with your Holy Spirit right now, that he would overflow us as a torrent of living water. And Jesus, we pray that you would give us ears to hear uh, what you want to speak and what the Spirit wants to speak to us today. 
Meet with us, Lord, we pray. Speak to us, Lord, this morning, we pray. We thank you for your eternal word that will outlive the heavens and the earth. We thank you that every promise in your word is yea and amen, not only in human history, but in our individual lives as well. We thank you for the privilege of having you as our God. Thank you, Lord, for the refuge that you are. Thank you for the unshakable, immovable foundation that you are in our lives. We are grateful to be your children, grateful to know you. And we pray, Lord, that this time in your word, that it would magnify you, that it would glorify you, and that this time together this morning would continue to please you and bring pleasure to you. And we ask these things as your children. In Jesus' name, amen. I think that all of us as we're teaching, whatever pastor, whether in this church or all around the world, uh, obviously week in and week out, we're asking the Lord, what do you want us to speak? What do you want us to teach? What do you want to say uh, to your body? And certainly that's a, a heightened uh, desire of ours as pastors at a time like this. And and certainly I spent uh, time uh, endeavoring, Lord, what is it in this big Bible of yours that you would want to speak through me today? And I felt he directed me here. And uh, one of the great things about this passage is that uh, it is written uh, directly to the kind of situation that we find ourselves in uh, in the entire world today as Christians. And looking at this passage, it's important to notice uh, who the Apostle Peter is re writing to supremely. And first of all, we see in verses 1 and 2 that it is written to Christians. And uh, because he refers to who he's writing to by distinctly Christian terms. Uh, in verse 1, he describes us as pilgrims. In verse 2, he describes us as the elect. And then second, it's also important to realize that Peter addresses this letter to Christians who find themselves in the midst of grievous trials, in the midst of various trials. Those who have been, as he describes there in verse 6, those who have been grieved by various trials is how he puts it. And he, uh, Peter references this, that he is writing to Christians in the midst of great difficulty all the way through the book. He mentions it in every chapter of First uh, Peter except in chapter uh, 3. And as a result, in this letter, the Apostle Peter, he provides us as Christians with uh, the encouragement that we need, with the practical instruction uh, that we need. And then really, most of all, uh, he reminds us of the unfailing sources uh, for, uh, for joy that are in our lives uh, as Christians when we find ourselves even in the midst of the most uh, grievous of trials. And the grievous trials that Peter is writing about when he wrote this epistle to the Christians that he wrote to at that time, they were in the midst of a, a terrible, murderous persecution under a Roman uh, Caesar by the name of Nero. And he unleashed a, a horrible persecution against Christians that began uh, in the city of Rome and then proceeded to spread throughout much of the Roman uh, Empire. And Christians were then being fed to wild animals in arenas for uh, the entertainment of the public. And you just stop and think about that, our brothers and our sisters. Now, uh, there is a trial, isn't it? Fed to wild animals for the entertainment of what a debased world it, it would be, uh, solely for the reason that they were uh, Christians, and as a result, on the wrong side of, of this uh, Roman Caesar. They were being burned alive, 
They were being crucified as uh, Nero uh, was especially cruel in his mocking of their faith in a crucified Savior. And all of this occurred, again, simply because they were Christians. And in all, Nero murdered thousands of Christians in the city of Rome. And this is why whenever we find ourselves in deep trials, we find ourselves in great difficulties, it's always important to remember as a Christian that First and Second Peter should be one of the first places that we turn to for encouragement, for instruction, and for perspective, because it is written to us uh, when we find ourselves specifically in those uh, circumstances to provide us with that eternal perspective. If you find yourself looking and wondering uh, in terms of the, the trial and the pandemic and the individual aspects of the trial that it brings uh, into your life, where do I turn in this big Bible of 66 books? Well, you'll never do any harm turning anywhere uh, in, in the Bible for uh, edification. But it is good to know that First and Second Peter are important epistles for a time like this. The book of James is also important. The book of Job and also uh, the Psalms, all of them vital in this regard. And certainly this pan coronavirus pandemic, including all of the consequences of it, uh, all of the illness, all of the death that is going on uh, worldwide, and uh, all of the, uh, the isolation, all of the loss of jobs, all of the uh, human uncertainty related to the consequences of this, what uh, is the future going to bring, all of it fits into the category of a grievous trial, doesn't it? And so we're in a good place in the Bible for uh, gaining perspective and receiving encouragement from God in the midst of it. These, now, having, as Peter begins this epistle here, having kind of gained our attention, the attention of every Christian, both then and now, uh, who finds themselves in the midst of a grievous trial. We find ourselves in that place. So Peter has our attention as Christians here, and Peter then proceeds to set our minds upon a series of truths or a series of realities in our lives as Christians in order that these things might be a source of joy to us in those trials, that they might anchor our joy uh, in uh, trials like this. And so our physical world, our physical life is being made increasingly small today, uh, physically speaking, because of this coronavirus. That's one of the characteristics of any grievous trial. Uh, it presses down on you. It, it uh, compresses your life. It makes your world uh, smaller. One of the first things we lose is a larger perspective in the midst of a, a grievous trial. And Peter here, he informs us that so often, while that is true, uh, uh, in a, a physically related to a trial like this, that it need not be true of our spiritual lives under the same circumstances. And these kind of times are times for us to re-examine uh, the things that are most important in life, to re-examine our blessings that are ours uh, as Christians. There's the old hymn, uh, Count Your Many Blessings. And uh, the chorus of that hymn declares, Count your blessings, name them one by one. And it's never uh, a bad idea. And uh, that is precisely what Peter does here uh, in, in this passage. And I think that sometimes it takes a great trial, a big trial, uh, to make us view our blessings with a, a fresh appreciation and with a fresh awe and uh, sometimes that uh, awe and appreciation over our blessings, even our spiritual blessings, can be lo lost in the uh, to and fro and the, the daily of life. I mentioned what uh, the song means uh, to us in that uh, daily encouragement and devotional that goes out uh, day by day now for several weeks. 
And the first day that uh, it came on, and here are these uh, men and women that minister to us week in and week out, and to see a familiar face, and to see them worshiping the Lord, and being able to enter into worship with them. It gave me uh, a fresh appreciation for the privilege of worship. And it, uh, I mean, it all it makes you choke up. And, and it isn't that I n- feel like I need any greater appreciation for the privilege of worship and corporate worship and to be led in worship by the worship team. When I come uh, to church, I can't wait to worship uh, the Lord. And then just when I think I can't appreciate it, appreciate it anymore, have any greater awe for it, uh, then I already do. Something like this happens in our life. And, uh, and uh, we're given a fresh sense of awe and, and privilege and uh, appreciation for the spiritual blessings that are in our lives. Now, before we get into what will be a very brief uh, examination of the blessings that Peter uh, lists here, it is important to notice that he begins this list in verse 3 by saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has. In other words, what Peter is declaring is that each of the blessings that he lists here, uh, they are given to us by God. And because they are given to us by God, because he is the source of these blessings, the blessings that he lays out here are an unchanging constant in our lives. Because God has given them to us, they can never be taken away from us, not by any circumstance uh, in life. And every blessing that he describes lies uh, very far and, and safely beyond the reach of any of the circumstances that Uh, or any trial that we find ourselves in the middle of in life. I've mentioned it before in the past, but there isn't much I haven't mentioned before in the past at this point in uh, my uh, ministry. But I I do remember, and I always think of it in these terms, I remember being at a pastor's conference in Indiana uh, over 30 years ago now. And the worship leader got up, a single guitar and a, a worship leader, and uh, he led us in worship, and then he led us in a song that I had uh, never, ever heard uh, before. And that song had a line in it speaking of the blessing of God, and the line went like this, uh, the world didn't give it to me, and the world can't take it away. And all of these years later, from that moment on, that line stuck with me. The world didn't give it to me, and the world can't take it away. And that's true of all of God's blessings that he brings uh, into our uh, lives. Now, notice the inexhaustible uh, sources of joy here uh, now that, that uh, Peter reminds us of in the passage. And I'll go back to verse 1 and laying uh, some of them out. He is careful to remind us as Christians that we are pilgrims uh, in this world and to remind us that this isn't home for us. Uh, this isn't as good as it gets uh, for us, but that we are as thankful as we are for this life and the blessings of this life. We are merely passing through this world, making our way to our real home, making our way uh, to heaven. As Paul wrote, he said, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus. Can you uh, imagine trying to navigate this pandemic without knowing this about yourself, uh, as if this life were the only one uh, that you have. If, if that was my perspective in going through life, then I would be fighting as much as anyone 
for every uh, roll of toilet paper uh, or every uh, sack of flour or every box of ammo just like everyone else. And it's a horrible, horrible way to live. You think about all of the toxic emotions, all the chemicals that are uh, churned up in a person's life when, if I think that this is the uh, only life that there is and I have to make the most of it at, at the expense of everyone else and, and, uh, and uh, no matter what the cost to myself even. Jesus taught, and I want to read a passage to you from his Sermon on the Mount. And it's a passage that most of you are very, very familiar with. And, uh, but we've never read it quite from this perspective before. And some of you, if your environment is appropriate for it and you're inclined, you might just close your eyes and hear Jesus speak these words to you uh, this morning because he does. He doesn't provide... Uh, this passage to us is sermon fodder. They are his truth to us this morning. Matthew chapter 6. Jesus said, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. For they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 reminds us of this great truth that Peter is reminding us of as pilgrims. And there in, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, he reminds us that we are not without hope and without God in this world. Once we were without hope and we were without God, we were navigating life and all of its trials and difficulties uh, without God and without hope. But we're no longer in that place. We have a God who loves us. We have a God who has saved us. We have a God who will never leave us or forsake us, and a God who is committed to taking care of us. We are not like everyone else in the world in that regard. Peter then reminds us in verse 2 that we are elect. That is that as Christians, God the Father chose us for salvation and thus to become his children and we're further, uh, told further that his choice of us for, the, uh, for salvation came out of his foreknowledge. In other words, he knew that one day uh, we would choose him by putting our faith in Jesus for salvation, and thus he chose us to be saved based upon that foreknowledge. Now, it can seem like a very odd thing that Peter introduces the doctrine of the election and foreknowledge of God at this particular point in a letter in which he is writing to Christians in times of great trial. And we know that he doesn't speak of it here 
in order that it would give us kind of something to sit down and have a, a, a deep theological discussion or even argument over, uh, over the subject. No, when he speaks about our election, what Peter is declaring uh, as the election, as God's election does throughout the scriptures, it speaks of the absolute security of our salvation. And Peter is telling us that and reassuring us of the fact that whatever else may be going on in our lives, no matter how messed up the world is, no matter how messed up our personal circumstances may be uh, at, at this moment in time, that our salvation as Christians is not in play. Uh, it cannot be affected in any way. We don't have to give a second thought to whether we will end up one day in the glory of heaven or uh, whether our salvation is sure. And that is something to be thankful for, to realize this morning and to say in our hearts, whatever else is going on in this world, I am saved. I don't have to worry about that. I don't have to think uh, uh, about that. And imagine if uh, in all of the trials that we face in life, we also had to worry about the absolute sureness and security uh, of our salvation on top of it. No thank you. And Peter didn't want us to be concerned about that salvation. And what a blessing it is today uh, to be saved and to know that we're saved. And maybe in the midst of this trial, all of us uh, gaining a deeper appreciation uh, for that, that salvation and to be able to just this morning to take a deep breath and to relax related to uh, our salvation. The greatest things, the biggest things in life have been taken care of uh, by our God. And if he's given us our, his son, then how much more will he give us everything else that we need? Peter goes on in verse 2, and he also writes, in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, again, someone might read this and think that's really an odd reminder for Christians uh, in a time of trial, but it's very, very important. And the idea of sanctification uh, is that our lives have been set apart unto God uh, for His glory and for His purposes. In other words, Peter is telling us here that no season of trial, great trial, hinders the continuation of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to accomplish two things. Number one, the Holy Spirit uses these times to make us more obedient to God's Word than ever before, to purify our lives of, of any sin that we have perhaps never ever taken seriously in our lives as a Christian or that we maybe have lapsed back into over the long haul of our Christian life. There's something about a time of crisis that tends to produce a sober-mindedness in us uh, that we don't always possess. And it, and it produces a sober-mindedness within us in terms of the physical things of our life, the material things uh, of our life. And, uh, and, uh, and again, when in a way that isn't there when life is going easier. And it tends to be a time when we reassess our lives where, uh, where we're going in life, uh, how we're living. One of the things that happens in a great crisis and a great trial within our lives is we reassess how we spend our money, how we spend our time. We begin to look at whatever might be a weak area in our life in the light of the trial that needs to be shored up. And we immediately begin to do everything that we can uh, to shore uh, that up. We realize that it's not a time to be messing around. 
that our lives need to be ship-shaped, that our lives need to be focused on what's really important, that the, uh, even the physical and the material foundation of our life uh, needs to be strong and it needs to be healthy. And then there's a spiritual dynamic to it as well, though, as Peter writes here. And the Holy Spirit will use this time in our lives, times of grievous trial, uh, to trim the fat, to trim the waste away from our spiritual lives as well, to cause us to uh, repent of the practice of any sin in our lives, uh, to repent of any backsliding, even backsliding in heart, to repent of lukewarmness in our life as Christians, to reorder the priorities of our life, to reintroduce spiritual disciplines that have been neglected now uh, back into our lives, to freshly commit to uh, God's call on our lives uh, for Christian service that has perhaps been long neglected in some of our lives, or to just freshly commit to seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness in our marriages and in our homes, to freshly commit our lives to following God in this world wholeheartedly, whatever the cost. And it costs something in grievous trials to walk with God wholeheartedly and obediently. And when we begin to feel the cost of it, to be able to uh, then joyfully surrender to whatever is demanded by the trial, demanded of the Christian life that we were never quite aware of in the same way, and submitting wholeheartedly to whatever it is that God wants to do with our lives. And it's important to be sensitive to this sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in our lives in a trial like this. To get through a trial like this and to fail to experience the sanctifying influence of the Holy Spirit on our lives in such a trial will be uh, to largely waste the trial and the opportunity that it presents for spiritual growth. In times of prosperity, it is very easy to uh, get fat and sassy uh, spiritually. We see it continually in the children of Israel in the Old Testament, when everything was going great, everything that was going good, hypocrisy entered into their lives. Worship of God that was disconnected uh, from the heart and was only uh, in the, uh, with the, the mouth instead of the heart and the mind being engaged. And it went on uh, uh, so often with the children uh, of Israel and that, uh, that distance uh, between what we believe as children of God and the life that we actually live during those seasons of prosperity, that distance can oftentimes tend uh, to grow uh, rather than what it always ought to be doing in life, and that is to, to be narrowing. And times like this are things, times that cause us, the Holy Spirit, to put his finger on anything like that that has happened in our life where we have become casual spiritually. And second, the Holy Spirit uses these seasons to make us more like Jesus in some way, to in some way produce his character uh, within our lives, to produce his holiness, um, to uh, produce uh, his example uh, in our lives in a, in a more complete way. And sometimes it seems that certain things, they, a deeper understanding of Jesus, a revelation concerning him, revelation concerning uh, his teaching, so often something about our understanding of him comes to life, something that he taught uh, that is, uh, is a teaching that explodes to life once we find ourselves in various circumstances in life. And trials are part of those uh, circumstances. And, it, and this uh, being conformed into his, his image and 
uh, and uh, all of these different kinds of things that, that come with trials like this. We learn things about Him that we would never learn uh, any other way. And so today and in the coming days, let's be alert to this work of the Holy Spirit in our lives as well. And to look and to ask uh, the Holy Spirit, uh, would you use this time to conform me into the image of Christ? Uh, This is a season that you knew I would be alive in. You knew this is a trial that I would find myself in the midst of. And you promised to work it together for good in making me like my Savior. And would you do that? And the Holy Spirit will be faithful to do just that. And let's make sure that we don't waste this time under the current stay-at-home orders, but instead listen to the Holy Spirit concerning how the time is to be spent. And maybe that, that exhortation is an exhortation that you don't need, so I'll just preach to myself here this morning in that regard. There is, this is, uh, there's no reason for this time of isolation to be uh, idle time or undefined time or undisciplined time. Uh, There's an old saying, and it's still true, that idle hands and idle minds are the devil's workshop, and it is still true. And we need to be uh, alert to that as well. And so let's use the time well. There's an entire world today, by virtue of technology, uh, that is filled with the most amazing Bible studies uh, that we can access. I remember when I was a new Christian, finding a cassette tape was like finding a gold mine to be able to listen to it. Today I can sit at my computer and I can go around the world and listen to Bible teaching in England, in India, in Europe, anywhere, the United States. And uh, a whole world of Bible teaching, a whole world of worship music that is uh, literally at our fingertips to be listening to throughout the day. It's a time to reread your favorite book of the Bible and to do it real slow, like you've always wanted to, if, if you had the time. And uh, to be able to read it a phrase at a time, to savor it. And then to remember the reason for why it is your favorite book in the Bible. And remember your history with that book and the times that it has taken you through in the past. Look at your life verse, if you have one. And take that life verse that God has given to you and apply it now to this situation for perspective. It's a time for Bible study, uh, not just reading the Bible, uh, and, uh, uh, that, uh, but to study that, that book of the Bible that you've always wanted to study. You've always wanted to really uh, get into it in depth, but never quite had the time. And Bible study today in the United States, is, uh, it's gone the way of the dodo bird. It's almost extinct. Uh, presently, uh, we're almost content as pastors if we can get people to merely uh, read their Bible by and large. And, uh, and, and, and it's one of the areas that we're so far away from, uh, from the Christianity that's described in the Scriptures. The Bible calls us to read the Bible, but to also study the Bible, study it on our own, study it for ourselves, to learn it uh, for uh, ourselves. And it's a time uh, to do that. It's also a time to maybe re-read a, a favorite Christian book that you've been uh, meaning to get to or a book that impacted you earlier in your Christian life but never have quite been able to get uh, back to it. I'm presently reading A.W. Tozer's uh, book, God Tells the Man Who Cares. And it's a series, I think about 26 chapters, and I've been, re- they're short, uh, bite-sized, and reading one of those is a part of my devotional life here uh, recently, early in my Christian life, 
I read everything that Tozer wrote that I could get my uh, hands on, and, and yet uh, life uh, is busy, and, and, uh, and the demands of, of the pastorate for me demands reading in a lot of other different areas, and so a discretionary time to go back to what it is that I might want to read uh, myself uh, is precious as well, and uh, here I have the opportunity to get back to that. I think on my own reading list related to this, I want to reread Jim Cimbala's Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, and uh, my friend William MacDonald, now in heaven, his book, True Discipleship. But you have your own titles, and it's a time for returning to these books that God used to impact you and impact me and allow them to freshly impact our Christian lives. It's also a time to memorize some of those scriptures you've always wanted to commit uh, to memory, to write them out or to print them out, put them all around the house. That's where we are these days and uh, everywhere that we go and, uh, and uh, commit them to memory. Put them on the refrigerator. Put them wherever the desserts are. I don't know what it's like for you, uh, but when in this whole thing it hits and everything and um, I try to be fairly careful about my diet and on, because of physical things I have uh, to deal with. But I found myself craving desserts like I haven't since I was in high school. And uh, how we crave comfort food. I went to a store uh, deliberately uh, to go and buy uh, pinwheels. It's a cookie. And uh, when I was younger, I used to freeze them and put them in the refrigerator and the freezer and then eat frozen pinwheels. And uh, I ate them in two days, the entire uh, box. But you know what this is doing to you and where you're going and in your home and to put these scriptures there and, and uh, commit them to memory. Notice as well that Peter reminds us in verse 2 or verse 3 that as Christians we possess a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And of course, we'll celebrate that uh, next Sunday especially. And what Peter is telling us here is that no matter what our trials or difficulties in life, we possess a living hope in the face of death. And death is a very real thing always in, uh, in the world, every single day. But we're acutely aware of it at a time like this. And it is because of Jesus' resurrection from the dead that we possess a hope that has addressed and that has conquered this great enemy of mankind uh, called death. And to remember today that as Christians, we have everlasting life presently. It isn't something that we're going to have one day uh, when we die, but we have everlasting life now. And if death is the means by which any of us enter into heaven as opposed to the rapture of the church, then we understand that we will not cease to exist for a nanosecond. But all death will do is instantly move us and remove us from all of the fallenness of our body, all of the fallenness uh, of this world that we live in, and into the eternal glory of heaven and into a new body. Whenever I think about this, I always think about the song that Kit Lloyd uh, used to sing, going to get a new body, body. This one's falling apart, going to get a new body, body. Already have a new heart. And, and that's the fact of the matter. And that's the truth concerning it. And here you have uh, and the Apostle Paul in, in, in the same regard who faced death continually in the course of his Christian life and ministry. He reminds us that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Uh, and if and when that happens in each of our lives, uh, it will be a considerable upgrade in the quality of our lives. And then in verse 4, Peter reminds us that we have an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Well, this is exciting. Uh, I don't know how many wills uh, you know that you are in, 
that will, some kind of resource or uh, money will come to you. It's always exciting when someone loves us enough to include us in their uh, will. And God has done this very same thing. And this inheritance that Peter writes about here, it speaks of all of the blessings that await us in heaven one day. And chief among them is that we will no longer see Jesus uh, through a glass darkly, but we will one day see him. Imagine this. We will one day see him face to face. And it's a wonderful thought to have in the midst of great trial and grievous trials to be reminded of the fact that all of this ends one day in seeing him face to face. That's the glory of heaven. It isn't the streets of gold as people have written about and all the glory that we read about there, all of the priceless materials that are used for what is in heaven as it's described in the scriptures. What makes heaven heaven is the fact that Jesus is there. And we will fellowship with him with an unveiled face. And Peter's description of this inheritance is given to us. You notice it's incorruptible. It is undefiled. It does not fade away. In other words, this inheritance cannot be affected in any way by the circumstances uh, of life. And Peter was writing to these early Christians and to us that whatever material things Christians are being denied in this life because of our faith in Jesus Christ uh, will be more than made up for uh, in heaven for eternity. And Paul wrote of this same thing in Romans chapter 8 when he said, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be uh, compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us and it is reserved this inheritance in heaven for us and by virtue of being reserved by God it is absolutely sure it's waiting for us it is under his custody and then in verse 5 Peter reminds us that we are kept he says who are kept by the power of God through faith and it's good to know that uh, we are uh, kept What good is an inheritance in heaven if we don't possess an equally sure promise that we will one day make it to heaven in order to receive it? And so Peter encourages us uh, with the fact that not only is our inheritance secure and being kept for us in heaven, but God is also keeping us secure for our inheritance. And he will be faithful us to deliver us into the glory of heaven one day. And again, here is the reassurance that God himself will make sure that we make it from here uh, to heaven. It's not dependent upon our will, not dependent upon our strength, our determination, but it is uh, solely dependent upon uh, His. And all of these verses, again, among the strongest in the Bible to speak to the security of our salvation as Christians. There's only one passage that I can think of that speaks to that security uh, even more powerfully. And that is when Jesus spoke in John chapter 10. And He said, My sheep hear My voice, and I know them and they follow me. And I give them everlasting life, and they shall never perish, neither shall, either, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one." One of the interesting things about great trials and great shakings that come uh, into our lives and great difficulties that come into our lives uh, is that it can leave us a little bit shaken. And uh, here we are one day minding our own business. And uh, whether the the trial is uh, 
a coronavirus that begins on the other side of the world and initially we don't have to give it any attention or it can be uh, something uh, far more uh, close in terms of something that has happened personally in our life in a relationship or with our children or our parents or a spouse. But one day we're kind of going along in our Christian life and we love the Lord and we're walking uh, with the Lord and this great trial gets introduced into our lives and it's so great it shakes us. And sometimes when trials shake us, and we can find ourselves responding to it in a way that we can sometimes think, I thought I was beyond that. I thought I would handle this better. I thought I would, uh, you know, be a, 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 a better example in, in terms of this. And sometimes we can even disappoint ourselves a little bit uh, in, in all of it. But what happens when these trials come into our lives, we can only have the relationship with God that we have in the present tense of our life. And then this big trial comes in and all of a sudden we realize that what we have with God right now, what we believe about the promises right now, how we've appropriated them into our lives, all of these things are now going to have to happen in a greater way, in a larger way within our lives. It's one of the blessings of, of trials as it forces us to grow. But there can be that moment in there where there's that uncertainty, uh, the wondering, am I going to get through this? And, uh, and it can really shake us. And those are the times that we need to realize while the Holy Spirit is growing us into bridging that gap that exists between what worked for us yesterday in a relationship with God and what we need now as a Christian in the world today that he will keep us while that, that bridge is being uh, 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 gapped. Notice finally there in verse 6. The single great thing that Peter is wanting to protect and to keep alive in our lives and all of this. And he lists all of these blessings uh, with a single purpose in mind that he describes here in verse 6. The thing that we cannot afford to lose in times of deep trial, and that is our joy. He said, in this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. And that's what I've entitled the message this morning. In this, you greatly rejoice. And so here he's concerned about our joy in seasons like this. And so he reminds us of these high, unshakable, immovable, unfailing causes for joy that God has provided uh, to us. And because the world didn't give them, the world can't take them away. And not the persecution of Nero, not the coronavirus, not anything. Good news is always especially appreciated uh, during uh, times uh, in our lives where there is so much bad news going on. We appreciate good news in a greater measure. I don't know what you have uh, done or how much time you've invested in watching the uh, President uh, Trump's uh, daily coronavirus briefings, but he has two infectious disease uh, doctors, Dr. Uh, Fauci and Dr. Bricks that come on and, and they give their expert opinion related to where things are and where things are, are going to go. And uh, so often their reports are uh, pretty grim. And, uh, but every once in a while, one of them will make mention and, and say, uh, but I do want you to know there's some good news here. And uh, there's some important progress that's being made here in, in fighting this virus. And the moment somebody talks about good news, I mean, immediately, uh, we're all ears. We're eager for good news in the midst of uh, so much bad news and so much hardship. And as thankful as I am for their uh, good news, and I'm very thankful when they give it to us in those briefings, 
Nothing can compare to the good news that God provides to us in this passage in the face of any trial that we face in life. The reminder that we are merely pilgrims in this world. We are just passing through. Our real home is in heaven. And the best by far is yet to come for us. That our salvation is absolutely sure and it lies wonderfully beyond the reach of any circumstance in life. And that no trial will ever go, we will go through will ever be wasted. God will always use it to further sanctify our lives and to conform us into the image of Christ. And the image of Christ is the most beautiful, the most peace-filled, the most joyous and liberated life that a person can live. And that because of the resurrection of Jesus, we possess a living hope in the face of death in this world. And that we have an inheritance being kept by God for us in heaven. And that we have a God who is keeping us for that inheritance. And because of these things, and so much more that the Apostle Peter could have listed, we possess an unfailing source of joy in life whatever our trials. Again, as Peter puts it so perfectly in verse 6, in this you greatly rejoice. Because they're more than just words on a page. And they're more than just sermon fodder. They are the truth about our lives and promises that have been given to us by God. And again, as we opened in prayer, I think about the promise of uh, uh, the, the declaration that Jesus made concerning the Word of God, that heaven and earth is going to pass away, but His Word will never, ever pass away. And we thank God this morning that though we were once in the world without hope and without God, and take a moment to remember the desperation of that, the emptiness of that. But that today as Christians, we are no longer in this world without hope and without God and without a God who loves us and is deeply committed to our lives and deeply committed to keeping His promises and bringing to completion what it is that He has brought to us. I don't know that everyone that I'm speaking to, whether in the living room of a home or someone might be listening alone in their den or at their desk, I don't know that everyone that is listening or will listen is a Christian. And if you are not a Christian today, God loves you, and He loves you, and He valued your soul far more than you value it if you're still unsaved. And He loved you so much that He sent His only begotten Son into the world to die on the cross as the full and satisfying payment for your sin, and then to rise again on the third day to demonstrate His victory over death. And that the invitation to you, that if you would simply trust in this Savior, simply trust in Jesus, that you can receive everlasting life and instantly be brought into the fullness of all of these promises that we've been talking about today and to be now uh, in this world with hope and with God and to just pray to the Lord this morning and say, God, I confess that I am a sinner and I confess that my sin has separated me from you but I also believe that you loved me so much that you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, into the world as the full and satisfying payment for my sin. And I believe that He is the Savior and that is the salvation that pleases you. And so I repent of my sin, I turn from my ways, and I turn now and I trust in Him as my Savior this morning. And if you pray that to the Lord in your heart, out loud to Him, a great miracle will occur in your life. God Almighty in the person of the Holy Spirit will come into your life and you will be born again. Let's pray together now.
Father, we thank you so much as we began for the privilege of being your children. And we pray from living rooms, from bedrooms, from dens, from kitchen tables, and all kinds of environments all around the world now. And we continue to reach out to you and ask, Lord, for your grace upon Calvary Chapel Modesto and everyone that attends it, whether by internet or attends it here physically in the normal course of things, that you would protect us from this plague and this disease that is filling the world. And of course, our heart, Lord, goes out into the entire world. We know that disease did not come from you. We know that you love people. And we pray, Lord, that you would provide to us a solution, a vaccine, a whatever, Lord, to stem back this great pandemic that fills the world. And we cry out to you for your grace in that regard. And we also pray that you would do it in such a way that the spiritual opportunity that this affords would not be lost. We pray, Lord, that you would bring deliverance, you would bring deliverance in a way that you would receive the glory. And we pray that it would be timely, we pray that it would be soon, but not before you have accomplished within us as your bride what this season needs to accomplish within us for what you know comes next, Lord, in your work in this world and not before, Lord, a great awakening occurs in this world until every single nation and every single individual is confronted with their frailty, our frailty, and our need for you and to turn to you. And we pray and ask for this work of your Holy Spirit, knowing and celebrating and thankful for the fact that you are greater than every need we will ever lift up to you. We ask, Lord, that you would answer our prayer in the way that you see is best, to answer it out of the fullness of your wisdom and your power and your love, and in a way that glorifies you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.